0: Welcome to the 209 Journey podcast. I'm your host, Luis Urbano. And in today's episode, I'm going to be talking to uh, Lee Neves. He is the CEO and chief consultant of Cross Currents LLC, which helps political candidates, organizations, and measures with their campaigns, uh, both offline and online. We'll definitely be having a conversation about that. Also, he is a Hillmar native. So we'll be talking about his time uh, there living in Hillmar. He went to UOP. So uh, we'll be discussing his time at the University of Pacific. Also, he recently made the announcement of a professional soccer team being brought to the city of Stockton, which I'm super excited about, uh, called SE Stockton. And it'll be playing in the USLW, which is uh, the USL's uh, women's league. So, lots going on there. And he will be having a logo release uh, on that in a couple of months. So, Super excited to hear more about how he got that started. Also, he did just recently get a coaching license. So I'll be asking him about uh, what his plans are for coaching soccer in the future. But before I introduce Lee, I wanted to remind you all if you are not following me on social media, please uh, give me a follow here on the podcast. You can find it on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at the 209 Journey. Also, I invite you to subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening to this episode, whether it be Spotify, Apple, Google, among many others. Uh, They all should have a button that allows you to either follow, subscribe, or get notifications. And so anytime I put a new episode up, you'll be able to get a notification on that. And if you could do me a huge favor and share this podcast with a friend, that would be really amazing and you would really help me grow this show. Uh, as I continue to record episodes, I know I've seen in the past that I'm going to try and do one a week. I've gotten pretty busy over the last couple of months, but I'm working on it again and I'm trying to get more episodes recorded. And I do have a couple of people that I've contacted and, uh, I hope to be adding some of them onto my recording schedule here pretty soon. So again, you'll find out more details as I go. And if you know someone who'd be interested in being on the show. Again, all they have to be is someone from the 209 or someone who moved here to the 209 and uh, has a story to share with everyone. So feel free to send me a message on social media if you have someone who's interested or if they'd like to send a message directly, then uh, they can do so as well. So welcome to the 209 Journey, Lee Nevis. How's it going? Good, going good, going good. How are you? I'm doing good. We're really excited to talk about a lot of things. Uh, I know we were talking about it a couple of seconds ago that you have a lot of interesting uh, things to talk about. And yeah, I'm really excited to hear about all these things here. So let's go ahead and, and get started. Uh, I know you grew up in Helmar, and I, I want to know a little bit more about uh, how your family got there. Uh, I know. You're, you have a Portuguese background, and, you know, I'm always really curious to hear more about how families immigrated from uh, one side to the other and how you established your home in, in Hillmar.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I um, was uh, born actually in Modesto, but raised, raised in Hillmar. Um, first generation, my parents came over here um, as adults. Uh, my mother came over with my grandfather and her side of the family. Um, first, they had a sponsor. um, and then my dad was still in the Portuguese army at the time. and so when he was done with his tour of duty, um my mother went back to the Azores and married um married my dad in a church in the as my dad would like to put it, antique Villa de San Sebastião," uh, as he would say. um, but they got married there and actually got had the good fortune and lucky. To be able to go visit uh, the church that they got married in um, three years ago, 2019, um, went over there for their uh, wedding and 50th wedding anniversary. So that was that was something very special. Um, but then they came came obviously came back over here right after they got married and, and had their honeymoon in the exciting island of San Miguel, which is also in the Azores. Where uh, fun fact, my mother had pineapple for the very first time. Um, but but um, the, and it's funny. So there was like two paths they could have taken when they came here to uh, California. They could have gone to one side of her family that lived in Pismo Beach, oh. or they could have gone to Hillmar. And <laughs> as I often like to tease my parents, I'm like, "Really, guys? You have to you <laughs> gotta make a right? Come on, come on, guys! Killing me." um but no i did did grow up in hillmar all the way up through high school good old good old hillmar senior high um you know i, I, I had had pretty good family life i mean my parents made sure we never wanted for anything um they instilled a pretty good work ethic in us um and at the same time they weren't you know some portuguese parents were known for being super duper strict um and uh my parents weren't but also i lived with the fear of God in me from them. Cause I know if I screwed up, um, I would get the back end of what my parents would call a cloth pow or a wooden spoon. Um, so it's kind of like, I like to stay in a little box. Um, but, uh, but now my, you know, my childhood, my family was good. Um, Hilmar is Hilmar. I mean, w- what can you say about it? It's, and and I actually heard one of your past, um, guests call it very clicky and it is it's like probably one of the clickiest towns in america would be my guess um and you know i look i I generally had a good time in hillmar people knew me they liked me but i also knew that me and hillmar was square peg around hole um i mean you know in junior high all my friends were like oh yeah guns and roses you know all these bands and you know worrying about girls and here I was watching Crossfire on CNN and reading Time Magazine. Um, just, you know, it just, they, I had a different mindset um, than, than most people in Hillmar did. So when it came time to vamoose from Hillmar and go to college, um, my parents really, really wanted me to go to um, Stanislaus State, which is a fine university, mind you, excellent university. Um, but at the same time, I knew that would be me living in Hillmar at my parents <laughs> for the next four years. Um, and you know, as m- with most Portuguese families, you have this like this big family discussion. So, you know, kind of see it, you know, me, my parents, my brother, his wife, my sister, who is five years younger, six years younger than me, my two aunts, my two uncles, everyone's over. And just everyone's talking to each other about what I need to do. And finally, my Uncle Tony, God bless his heart, just said. Look, he needs to go to UOP, or he's not going to have a girlfriend the entire four years of college. <laughs> and it was, it was, decision was made. Actually, my my dream school, the one I wanted to apply to, uh, was Boston College. But my parents put the kibosh on that. They're <laughs> like, seventeen year old you in Boston College, that ain't going to happen. And God bless their hearts, they were one hundred percent correct. I'd get eaten up, and spit a lot, spit out alive. Um, eat alive and spit out within the first two weeks in Boston probably so I went to UOP and you know had a had a pretty good uh, pretty good run there in college and went to uh, their law school McGeorge school of law um, where I learned to survive I, I mean law school is very cutthroat I mean it's just super duper cutthroat and um, everyone's trying to get the big, Summer clerkship at Will Cheatham and Howe or whatever, um, you know, whatever law big law firm they want to get a clerkship at. And I was simply like, "Hey, look, I just want to be a politician. Just leave me alone. <laughs> That's all I'm here for." <laughs> and people did, generally did. They're like, Ali's oh, least harmless. He, we don't have to worry about him trying to snake one of our clerkships." Um, so, but you know, my my student experience in undergraduate UOP was was definitely it, it, it was fun. Um, uop actually went to the ncaa men's basketball tournament my junior year senior year my senior year uh they went to the tournament um and that was fun we all hopped in a car and and drove to uh, salt lake city to watch them lose in the first round then hopped in a car and drove right back <laughs> uh, but it was definitely an experience so you know up to law school and in law school, I was uh, it, it was a, it was a good three years. After you make it past like the first semester, If you make it past the first semester of law school, um, and you're still breathing, then you're you're pretty good. Um, but let's put it this way: I had an incoming class of 370 law school students, um, and 212 ended up graduating. Oh. So it was there was quite a bit of attrition, uh, especially after that first semester, first year. I mean, they really just Uh, and I'm lucky I got through because I actually ended up getting mono um, at the very end of uh, in finals during my spring semester. I mean, all I wanted to do was sleep. My dad actually had to drive me up to finals for all of my finals, literally drove me up um, and they put me like in a corner of the class away from everyone. And I'm just like mainlining coffee, trying to stay awake because I have mono and I just want to. Mm-hmm. do that the entire you know fall asleep the entire final so you know but made it through got my got my juris doctorate and uh, as all my other friends were studying for the bar exam I was running a congressional campaign in San Luis Obispo county in santa barbara and having an adult beverage on the beach saying ha suckers <laughs> <laughs> so that's kind of that, that's my journey from from high school to to college and you know, I, I I know I said Hillmar is very clicky, um, and that I was definitely square peg round hole. Um, but look, my entire family still lives in Hillmar. My parents still call Hillmar home. I lived in Hillmar for ten years, um, uh, mostly in my twenties or later twenties. Um, so I mean, it's a nice, it, it, it's a very nice close knit community. Um, and, and obviously, it isn't for everyone. it it, it wasn't for me. And that's not saying it's bad or good. It's just Hillmar's Hillmar. I mean, they, they had a Trump tractor parade in 2020. Um, and they were, it actually made national news. and They were excited about it. Obviously my politics would not make me excited about it. <laughs> um, so it's, you know, it, it's, and I still got, I still got friends who live in Hillmar um, and, and they love it there. And it's, it's a very small town kind of, you know, small town environment, small town living. Um, And, you know, for for those who want that, that's great. I happen to like a little more excitement. So, you know, that's, that's why I don't live in Hillmar right now.
0: Yeah. And, and luckily, you know, we still have some of those uh small towns in the area. And I grew up in a small town myself. So I know how it's it's kind of nice when you could you know live in those small towns for for a little bit and oh yeah be able to I, look get to and, know and i
1: learned I learned a lot of a lot of really good traits that are helping me as an adult I mean you know just you know most off just being a good person working hard you know keeping your word things like that um that you know you just really get instilled in you from living in a small town and and those are lessons that i'm I'm glad I learned and I will never ever forget so it's by no means am I saying poo-poo small towns. It's, you know, it, you know living in a small town for me had its time and place. I'm glad I did. I love going back to visiting my parents and, and my family when I can. But, you know, it's now it's it's the big city, as they say,
0: mm-hmm. kind of sort of
1: big city. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> I feel the same way. I mean, even though Modesto is not like a big, big city, but it, it's definitely much bigger than where I grew up in. But yeah, I, I get you on, on that as well. Well. I want to know a little bit more about UOP when you were there because uh you got your BA in history and then you got your um law degree as well but what kind of motivated you to you know pursue history and then furthermore you know say I want to be a like in the law field I want to get more into that So uh, I you
1: know growing up I basically was a nerd I mean I'm just I'm I'm going to come out and say it you know I probably belonged on one of those revenge of the nerd movies I had the glasses and everything um I always just loved history. I really did. I mean, you know, during, you know, during the, um, you know, during summer break, you know, Little Hulmar Library would have a thing to, you know, fill up, you know, you get a sticker for every book you read and turn back in. Um, And there was like this poster and it had balloons on it. I want to say it had like 30 balloons on it. Um, And, you know, each time you read a book, you, and the thing was, to fill up all 30 balloons over the summer. I filled in 132 balloons to be exact. (laughs) I mean, I would just go through a book a day. Um, And they were all history books. I mean, you know, American Revolution, World War II, Civil War, um, you know, modern European history, Napoleon, all that stuff. Um, I was just really, really into. Um, And I was also really into kind of current affairs and politics i mean you know like i said earlier you know all my friends were worried about you know going to the junior high dance and you know looking good for girls and whatnot and here i was saying hey i'm gonna miss crossfire that's not cool uh you guys can go have fun i'm, I'm staying here <gasps> good guests on tonight um uh, but uh and that's you know when i was in when i was a senior at hillmar high i volunteered on for the local Republican party um, when, you know, being a Republican was normal back then. Uh, but, uh, you know, and was super sad when George Bush senior lost and Bill Clinton won. I just thought that was the end of my world. I thought, Oh no, Bill Clinton, he's just like super duper liberal, super liberal. And I look back on I'm like that was actually a great president. Uh, but uh, and that, so that, kind of drive and desire to always be in a law political governmental type field has always been there for me it's just something that in sports were the two things I was absolutely obsessed with uh, my entire childhood and I guess you can say still my adulthood I'm still obsessed with politics and sports that's pretty much it
0: <laughs> yeah uh, definitely but both, both too and uh, I mean it's great right now no all that yeah. time that you spend it's like well no, you use all that knowledge and you have all these things going on. So it's it's really awesome. Well, speaking of that, I want to get into how you started uh, Cross Currents LLC and and all the work that that you do there. Can you tell yeah, us more so, about that? So
1: I, um, you know, when I was in the law school, I started working for a state assembly member, started interning for him. Uh, he was at the time the vice chair, uh, the, uh, vi- the uh, assistant Republican leader in the state assembly. And, you know, I'm very fortunate that I lucked out to be working in his office. He was a great mentor, Um, you know, really got to kind of rise up through the ranks and he saw how hard I was working and, you know, rewarded me for the hard work. And so uh, I then transitioned over to working for then state senator Dick Monteith, who was state senator in the Merced uh, Stanislaus area for a very long time. Um, And he ran for Congress and Uh, 2002, um, and I was his political director, basically manned the ground game, uh, in both Stanislaus and Merced counties, um, for both, uh, his race and also an assembly race that was basically right nestled in with ours, covered the same area. Um, so that was, that was a really fun experience, especially since it was 2002 run for Congress. And that was the time when all the Gary Condit stuff was happening. Uh, with Chandra Levy, so you know, here you have just national news all over the place, and and I remember we had a uh, a, um, a candidate forum at the Iron Restaurant in Merced, and I was there with um, with uh, with the senator, and Gary Condit was on, not like I'm here, the senator is to my right um there's someone in between him and gary Connor while well, gary Connor reaches over to shake his hand and all of a sudden you just see a flash just a flash and um, you know i thought i thought nothing more of it well apparently it, it was a photo that showed up in a bunch of front pages uh around the world the next day because i had relatives in canada and i get this phone call like it's like five o'clock here um, They're like, we just saw the paper. Did he tell you where he hit the body? I'm like, what are you guys talking about? You were in the same photo with Gary Condit. i like, oh, no, 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 no. He just was shaking my boss's hand. It's no, no. Um, but that was, uh, you know, it was a race that drew a lot of national attention and, and I loved it. And it. I'm kind of thinking to myself, I, this is, this is what I want to do. I, I was thriving off the attention. I was, you know, I was thriving off of being on TV, um, you know, being, being interviewed on ABC news, on NBC news and having it, you know, go network. Um, So from there, I actually ran for county supervisor in Merced County in Hillmar. And I got spanked big time. I lost by like 30 percentage points. I mean it was it was brutal also the best thing that ever happened to me because up until then i was just this cocky little punk i mean everything's going right for me you know the world is my oyster anything i do it turns to gold you know graduate uop graduate law school ran this congressional campaign or helped run this congressional campaign um i've the, our consultant actually is a guy named Joe Justin, the the camel who I've learned a ton from in this business and and will to this day be just someone whose abilities I can't even match, come close to it. But um, But I just, I was on a roll. And here I just thought, I literally had my entire future planned out. Supervisor, state senator, lieutenant governor, governor, I mean, it just, it was, you know, I had, there was no stopping me. Well, there was apparently some stopping me, um, and uh, you know, like I said, it, it was it was a very humbling experience to know that that many people woke up in the morning and went to go vote against you. I mean, that's that's kind of how you take it when you're running for office. It's like these people hate me enough to to vote for the other person. And I was 28 at the time. So it's not like maybe they just like the other person a little more. It's like they hate me. Um, but it's, you know, it, it brought me down to earth. Uh, and it also kind of made me realize being the name on the ballot is not what I want to do. I want to be the guy behind the guy uh, or woman, the guy behind the woman, either one. I'm good. Um, but um, but yeah, that's, that's how it got started. And, you know, started running local races city council couple city council races school boards things like that and the more you win the more of a reputation you get and, and i i have to say my uh, my reputation at least was kind of made in, in tw- and uh, it sounds very cocky and arrogant but i'm not trying to be but 2014 was a very good year for me. Uh, i got the sheriff of merced county elected um, there were three people running and the guy who I was running was seen as number three out of three. He was like an afterthought. No one gave him much of a chance. Well, you know, lo and behold, he, you know, came in first in the primary um, and then beat, we went to the general election and beat the retired police chief of Merced, who was seen as the 800 pound gorilla. I mean, it, there was going to be no beating him. We beat him by like 15 percentage points. It wasn't even close. Um, and then I had, uh, then we had a congressional race. Me and my consulting partner at the time had a congressional race um, for uh, for Congress down there. A guy named Johnny who was a, a Republican running against Jim Costa. Now, Congressman Costa, who now to this day I have a lot of affection and affinity for, he truly is. I mean, he's just a very moderate. You know, plain spoken congressman goes, does his job, represents his district very well, you know, does a good job both in district and in DC. But, you know, at the time, you know, we're partisans and, you know, we have our guy and we want to win. So we're, and it's 2014, which was a bad year for Democrats. It just was not a good year for Democrats. So we're just beating them up left and right. Um, we're being outspent 10 to 1. So basically, for every dollar we had, Costa, Congressman Costa's campaign had 10. And I mean, I'm literally just like finding needles in haystacks saying, you know, when a lot of times when, and I don't want to get too thick and too deep into the weeds here. But a lot of times when people like myself make TV buys, it's just, I'm going to put 20,000 on cable in Sacramento and just, you guys figure out, you know, just put on the highest rate channels. That's pretty much it it's like let's throw a bunch of mud up against the wall that's where i'm literally going through every channel every tv show I'm like he oh people love a shark tank yeah we're doing that we're doing this and this and we actually at the end of election night we were ahead by 1500 votes um we ended up losing by i want to say two three hundred votes um and, and you know let's put it this way that. There was a very democratic part of the district in Fresno. um, And on election night, you know, we literally got a bunch of texts saying, congratulations, there's only 7,500 votes left in Fresno. There's no way he can make up the difference. Two days later, surprise, there's actually 11,500 votes in Fresno. Like, okay, either someone can't count or I just won't go there. Um, But. I, I mean, we literally came within a whisper of um, of, beating, of beating this. I mean, the guy has a freeway named after him from Fresno for crying out loud. You literally drive on the Congressman Jim Costa freeway. Uh, and, you know, sometimes it's being good at what you do. Sometimes it's just dumb luck because we had, I want to say we had $7,000 left in the campaign account. And we're like, OK, we're going to put our money all in. Chips all in, World Series, Game 6, Giants are going to clinch. Giants got blown out by the Royals. Like, the Royals were up, I want to say 8-0 in the second inning. I'm just like, gosh, he, everyone's going to tune out now. Our TV, no one's going to see our TV spot. We get a phone call from a uh, from, uh, network. I want to say it was, was it ABC30 at the time? Yeah, I forget which one. But uh, they're like, no, it was KMPH Fox. It was Fox. Um, and they're like, hey, guys, I got some bad news. I'm like, what is it? There was some mess up yesterday, and your spot didn't run. So we're going to play it on game seven tonight, and there's going to be no charge, uh, no extra charge, because it was our screw-up. And this was the game where Madison Bumgardner comes out, pitches like five innings in relief, and the Giants win like one nothing. And not only did our ad air on Game Seven, it aired in the ninth inning when literally all of America was tuning in. And I still remember my uh, our our candidate was at this event in Merced, and everyone was packed. They were watching the game, and Congressman Costa was there too. And our spot comes on in the ninth inning, and Costa goes, "What the hell are you doing on TV?" (laughs) <laughs> and I'm just like, God, oh, there's a God, there's a God. Uh, but you know that that year, you know, we lost, but I mean, the Wall Street Journal covered our race, National Review covered our race because it was it, it captivated a lot of people's attention and interest because it's like, here are these two guys, me and my partner who, you know, literally took this nobody, and he almost beat like an icon in Congress, you know, a, a guy who everyone knows, and everyone knows is going back every year. Um, so it, it, it's kind of taken off from there, um, and, you know, I've had a lot of fun doing it. Um, it, it also takes a toll. It, you know, my job does take a toll, especially on even-numbered years. Um, I... You know, I don't just take any candidates. I take candidates I believe in. Uh, and so when you get kind of emotionally attached, I mean, it just, it, it really does drain you, especially when your candidate loses. I'm lucky enough to be able to say my candidates win roughly 80% of the time. Um, and that's a win record I'm proud of. Uh, but, you know, when they lose, it's like a sucker punch. And, and I just, you know, even with all my other wins, that loss is is the one that I just ruminate on, and I'm just like, you know, and I play in the back of my head, what could I have done differently? What can I have done differently? Sometimes, uh, you know, the chips just fall where they do, and I could have done everything perfect, and the outcome still would have been the same. So that's you know, kind of kind of leads me to to um, to today, um, you know, still doing the political thing. Um, Probably my my most satisfying win was two years ago with Assemblymember Carlos Villapudua, um, who is currently my boss is the, uh, as the uh, as as I am as chief of staff. Um, but you know, great great candidate, hardworking candidate, um, great legislator, very common sense blue collar, and we were going up against this sitting supervisor who not only had all the money, had all the endorsements, but her and I just personally did not not like each other. I mean, it was a personal blood feud. I mean, I I did, when she first ran for supervisor, I did this thing called an IE, which is independent expenditure, which basically is a group of people who spend money on a race, but they're not giving it directly to a candidate. They're doing it on their own. So I was hired to do that against her and beat her up pretty good uh that's the nature of the game you're gonna get beat up um, and she uh pretty much went to my landlord after and said i was super dirty and i needed to be kicked out of the home i was renting um luckily my landlord was like well he pays his rent on time so that's not gonna happen uh, <laughs> but uh so it was a blood feud and we ended up w- winning that race um you know, with the help of some IEs coincidentally, but also we ran a really, really good race. He worked his tail off. I mean, if, I would not be surprised if that guy walked 20,000 homes himself, um, in the district, uh, throughout the campaign. And it was, it was during a, a pandemic year. Um, so, you know, he's out there walking with his mask on the literature and, and whatnot. And people appreciated the fact that he wasn't hiding behind a screen or anything like that. He was actually out there, you know, walking and working. Um, And another thing he did a lot of during the campaign is he would just like take an entire day off, where he could have been walking or could have been, you know, making phone calls for campaign contributions. But he would, um, he would, you know, donate his time at a food bank, loading up, uh groceries and cars for people who were coming by that you know needed groceries because their job was gone because of the pandemic um he did that a lot um you know and i'll admit at the time more a, he did it more than my liking i'm like hey boss come on you got to raise money i gotta get paid uh, but he'd be at the food bank you know working his tail off and that really resonated with voters people really appreciate the fact that here's a guy who just loves his community and he could be out doing political things, but he's here, spending his time with the community and giving back. So, um, but uh, we we beat Kathy Miller, and uh, as as I said, after the election was final, because it went I want to say it went about a week and a half extra because they were took such a long time counting ballots. Um, a lot of it because of COVID restrictions and whatnot um but afterwards i'm like i can retire now and die and just retire a happy man i have i've have reached i've reached the pinnacle of my political consulting success i i have, I have defeated Kathy Miller, uh, but uh still still doing it for the time being and you know having having fun when i'm not getting stressed out and uh and wishing you know total destruction upon my opponents um but uh but it's you know let's just say when uh, when june 8th the day after the primary comes i i will sleep in and have a good time
0: <laughs> yeah yeah put plenty of days like that and luckily it's almost almost here but oh, yeah yes i'm i'm glad he did that i think um a lot of political candidates just don't realize how doing small things like that right like you said oh, just yeah. go door to door like that that means a lot right because uh-huh. you don't always see that and if they take some time out of their whole campaign to do that it's going to make a big difference versus oh here's someone else who's just talking on my behalf right yeah. so it's a simple yeah, yeah. things that you know, the, people people, can do. people like the
1: fact that you're making the effort they really do so they i you know i implore all my candidates you know even if they got you know tons of money um you know, I have a D.A. candidate right now who's almost probably raised three times as much as his opponent. Um, but I'm still being like, um, are you out there walking? Go walk. Go, you know, instead of trying to write a Facebook post, which is what you pay us for, go walk. There you go. There's a precinct. Go knock yourself out. So it's something I still stress a lot to my, you know, to my, uh, to my candidates.
0: Plus, I think it helps them get a lot of insights, right, on like. What are people most worried about answering oh, yeah. questions they might have? It's and people feel more special, right? I mean, it's like uh, they're talking yeah. to you. My vote really matters to them. Oh, yeah.
1: And, and uh, you're, you're right. It is, you know, what do actual real people think? Not what a poll tells me. What do real people think? A lot of times what real people think coincide with the poll. But um, it is it's good to have that, you know, knowledge base that you're out there talking to real people and they're worried about their gas prices. They're worried about if they can afford a home. Um, you know, they're, they're worried about the fact that there's no baby formula in the shelves. Mm. Um, they're worried about all these things. Pardon me. It's nine o'clock. I have to take my medication. Oh, okay. That's okay. So, and this will be a little detour and it could go in the podcast, but um, just over two months ago, I had a liver transplant um, out here in lovely, lovely Gainesville, Florida. At the University of Florida Medical Center, which best in the nation, but I'm biased. Um, but I have to take time medication every day, nine o'clock, one o'clock, nine o'clock, like like clockwork. Oh. Um, and as I like to it's it's anti-rejection drugs and whatnot. Um, and as I like to say, I, I have more drugs than most, most drug cartel leaders. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So, but they're not for sale. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it was, uh, it, it was definitely a life-changing experience. I think having to go through that, you know, kind of focuses you on what's really important. You know, before that, before the whole ordeal of having to go through a liver transplant, I was very much, you know, all work all the time. I need to win. I need to be best in my business. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. I mean, I would. I won two uh, Polly Awards, which are basically poly, the Oscars for political consultants. And I've won two of them. Third, if you count a regional Polly, I won. Um, and I was like, "Who? Oh, look at me! I won a Polly. You didn't, Niner um And and you go through that. And you're just like, big whoop, big whoop. And, you know, they had the poly awards this year, and they're like, me, you going to enter? And I'm like, no, I got better things to do with my time. Um, like, I don't know, getting better from having a liver transplant. <laughs> um, but um, I, it, it just gives you a new outlook on on what's important and what's not. Kinda, you know, I'm actually glad I went through it. Uh, and it's actually one of the drivers of why I wanted to start, you know, a USL Women's team in Stockton. It, it was while I was going through that process, waiting for a liver, and and dealing with all the uh, with the repercussions of that, um, and you know what my body was going through, what I was going through, and you know wanting to give something back, not being selfish and having it all be for Lee, but wanting to give something back. And you know, I saw the USL was starting a women's league, and you know, I thought to myself, "Hey, Stockton's perfect. It's a hotbed for soccer." Um, The Central Valley is a hotbed for soccer. Um, You know, I mean, the ESPN has this thirty for thirty called the U, which is uh, talks about the University of Miami football back in the heydays of the eighties when they were like a dynasty. Um, And the coach who started that, a guy named Howard Schnellenberger, took a map of Florida, drew a line right through the middle of it at Orlando, and he said, if we recruit every player south of here. We will be national champions, and no one will touch us. And it's true; it it happened. Same thing with soccer in the Central Valley. If you just draw a line around the Central Valley and say we're going to keep every player from the Central Valley here, I mean, you would have college soccer teams, UOP, Fresno State, um, that you know would be winning national championships every year. Um, You would have, you know, pro soccer teams, be it from you know usl stockton that starts off next year to the central valley fuego down in fresno right now to the sacramento republic um that would be dominant because they're just that much talent and, and i'm thinking to myself there's so much talent in stockton but it's it's untapped and there's nowhere nowhere for it to go um stock you know youth soccer these days to be able to be seen by the big colleges or, or whatnot is it, oftentimes it's pay for play. I mean you have to pay for tryouts. You gotta pay to be on traveling team. You gotta, you know, pay this, pay that, pay that. You got so many talented kids in Stockton that can't afford it. I mean, their families worried about putting food on the table. They're not gonna pay, you know, X amount for you to go try out for a soccer team It's not gonna happen. Go play for your high school team and when you're done, that's it. Um, and so I, I started, you know, it kind of popped into my head as, A, you know, it's a it's a, a, a valuable asset for Stockton, um, especially during the summer, which is when they play. And, you know, the only other competition in town is the Stockton ports, and they serve two very different customer bases and customer groups. Um, and it's a way to give back to Stockton. You know, and and my my vision, you know, we already have our, our general manager and our head coach and, and they agree with me, but the vision is to make it like an all stock in San Joaquin County area team. I mean, we're not gonna go out and say, Oh, you know, it's so and so from wherever, come play for us because you're good. We have enough talent in this area to to, to not only compete, but to, to win championships in the USL. And that's what we're looking forward to doing.
0: Which is really awesome. I'm glad that you guys have that vision of like, let's just keep it local. Let's yeah. not lo- look outside and, and give more opportunities to anyone in the area who wants to play. And like you said, right, maybe you can't afford the pay-to-play system or you don't get scouted by a college yeah. not because you're not good, but because they can only scout <laughs> so he, many players. too.
1: You know, it, it, it's uh, I was bringing back. So when I was going to undergrad at UOP, Back when their athletic department knew what they were doing, unlike now, but that's just my commentary. Um, We had this guy who ended up going number one in the NBA draft, Michael Oluwakandi. No one scouted him. He picked UOP by opening up a phone book and dialing the first number he saw. I kid you not. I kid you not. He was from London, England. His parents were Nigerian, and he opens up a like a college, you know. U.S. News and World Report's, you know, top universities, boom. And the coach at the time, Bob Thomason, always had one assistant be in, stay in the office at lunch, and he would joke just in case some seven-footer falls out of the sky. <laughs> seven-footer fell out of the sky. Um, and, and, you know, he led us to the um, NCAA tournament, led us to the National Invitational Tournament the year after number 1 nba draft pick and and that's you know that, that's kind of the story we want to tell with um with SC Stockton we want that center forward you know we want that you know female messi to to kind of fall out of the sky but be from stockton um and and really just you know kind of shine and grow and 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 show that stockton has a ton of talent and and that we're we're gonna you know put stock around the map when it comes to soccer talent for females
0: so with the uslw um you know being a new league and i don't know if you could talk about this but i've always kind of wondered when new teams uh, come about but uh but what what are the requirements usually that they ask for and like what's the entry fee and all that um
1: so the yeah the entry fee you add, you know it depends on if you're coming in with with two or um, two or one um, teams, because a lot of teams come in with the USLW team and a USL either League One or League Two team. Um, so, but uh, I, I don't, I don't think I'm allowed to say the actual fees. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they are reasonable. Um, they are in the five-figure range, um, but uh, let's just say mid m- mid five-figure range. Um, the lower end of the mid-five figure range, if we could put it at that. Um, and um, and you know, as far as requirements, they, you know, obviously you have to go through a business plan and kind of this is what we're looking at doing. This is, you know, kind of our projected balance sheet, costs and costs and, and revenue, um, and and they want to make sure you have a suitable place to play. You know we're fortunate enough that you know we'll be able to play at the at san joaquin delta college's soccer specific stadium mm-hmm. um, and uh and you know seats at least a thousand you know that's that's one of the requirements uh they want to be able to see they want you to see at least a thousand we're looking at making sure to get lights there that's, that's one thing we're looking at adding for that stadium because right now it doesn't have lights um and you know especially during those summer months mm-hmm. uh we don't want our games to start at seven in the morning mm-hmm. uh, so uh but it's you know we think it's really going to be a a great addition to the stockton scene um you know our, our motto is our city our team uh um, and, and that's kind of how we want to treat it it's Stockton is our city um, city that, you know, I became a young adult in, city that's given so much back to me. Um, and it's, it's, this team is Stockton's team. I mean, it, it, it's going to belong to the city Stock. Stockton. It's not like, you know, a fly-by-night operation. It's not going to be a minor league affiliate for some, you know, big major, you know, team. And to give you an example, it looks like the Stockton Heat. The AHL hockey team are going to move back up to Calgary, um, which is unfortunate because you've got a lot of passionate hockey fans in Stockton um, that that aren't going to have hockey anymore, and they've really supported that team. And to have that team yanked out from them just because the city and the NHL club can't reach an agreement is is sad. Um, I will say they're more than welcome to come over and be soccer fans, um, but. Uh, but I want to make sure that that never happens with Stockton's USLW team. I mean, it's, it's a team that, you know, should I one day say, hey, you know, I want to sell to someone or whatnot. You know, it's this team stays here in Stockton because it's, you know, I, I, I built it from the ground up to be from Stockton for Stockton. I mean, that's that's the legacy I want to leave behind for it.
0: Yeah, and that's a great area where you guys are gonna be playing at with the Delta College. You know, there the mall being across the street, they're remodeling it. It seems oh, yeah. like there's a lot of work being done around there, so it's it's gonna be a, a really great spot to to be at. It'll be a happening place. <laughs> uh, well, that, that's all great and all, and, and I really can't wait till the logo gets announced. Yeah, I think you said it was sometime possibly right in the next month or two. We might yeah, be yeah, we're
1: we're, we're looking <laughs> we're looking at July. Across, okay, cross our fingers. <laughs>
0: And when does uh? What when would you guys be starting officially? Like, is there like an so, approximate month or?
1: Yeah, so you know, obviously we want to have a couple friendlies before we actually kick off. Mm-hmm. So kickoff's going to be like the start of start of May, twenty twenty three. Um, we'll probably have a couple friendlies in April. Um, you know, and I, I would like to get you know names that are going to draw people in because once again, it's one of those things where. You know, I want to be able to showcase Stockton and, and, and really showcase the team. Um, so as far as live games, we're looking at April 2023. Um, obviously, the closer we get, we'll have there'll be open tryouts and training camp. Um, but as I tell my general manager and head coach, that's you guys right there. I, I'm not going to be Jerry Jones. I'm not going to be trying to tell who you need to play or pick the players. That is you guys. I'm just gonna be the guy with, you know, a bottle of water and a hot dog in the stands. <laughs> and if y'all need something, just tell me and I'll get it.
0: That, that's awesome. So they're probably gonna do like a combination of local tryouts and college recruiting from all the colleges in the area. Do you think?
1: Um they, well, so our our GM is pretty well connected. So it is gonna be a combo of open tryouts and and, and people she's already targeted. Um, she's already targeted a few players who have agreed and said yes. We want to play for Stockton. Um, that are going to be fantastic, and their names will be pretty familiar to to local uh, local soccer fans and local people in Stockton in general. Um, so we're going to start off with a really good base, um, and like I said, we're going to have those open tryouts. And you know, we know there will be more than a few diamonds in the rough there that we find. Um, along with people who are recruited by the head coach and the general manager, you know, like I said, we're I'm, I'm looking at putting a competitive playoff caliber team on the field from day one. That is that is my goal. There's no, you know I, I i told my I told my general manager and our head coach my my mouth's going to be writing checks. You guys better be <laughs> able to cash. <laughs> and and one of them is the fact that yeah, I'm letting everyone know you know, be it the rest of the league or whatnot, you know, it's we're coming to play from day one and we're looking to make playoffs from day one. So just bring, as The Rock says, just bring it.
0: Yeah, that that's that's awesome. That's a really great mentality and anything is possible, right? Republic were champions uh, in their very first season, yeah. right? When everyone was still trying to find out about them. And so we definitely have a lot of talent around this area. So, it's, Oh, yeah. We we can we can make that happen again. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, one last thing uh, I, I want to ask you, and uh, as I was going through your LinkedIn, uh, one thing that popped my eye because I, I hadn't asked you about this before, and that is that you have a eleven v eleven grassroots coaching license from uh, the U.S. Soccer Federation. Yes. Well, well, tell me more about how how would you get that, and what are your plans with that? So. Uh... So it's, you know,
1: long story short, um, beginning of January, I had to come out here. I'm in Gainesville, Florida right now, um, but I had to come out for testing at the University of Florida for them to be able to say, okay, we're going to put you on our list for you to get delivered. Um And so basically it was just, it was either me being in my hotel room or me going and getting, going, running through all their tests. So I'm in my hotel room and it's that like week. That first week after the new year, where there's really nothing on other than reruns, you know, there's no college football is waiting for the national championship game. NFL is not till weekend. Basketball is like ah, we're still taking a little break. So I'm like ah, why not? So I you know see that there's e- the USSF has a course to get your grassroots coaching license, and as I can like say, I am now eligible and certificated to coach my twin four-year-old nephews in, in peewee soccer, the kind where it's just a massive humanity <laughs> running around with the ball somewhere in there, and they're super excited for the Capri Suns and the Orange Slices after the game. That's the most exciting part of the game for them right there. So, yes, I, I am, according to the U.S. Soccer Federation, I am qualified to coach your son or daughter's under eight wee soccer team. And I love it, <laughs> but yeah, there, there's, there, there's no plans for me to get into coaching. I I'm going to leave that to the professionals. That is just something I thought I would do for fun. And, you know, like I said, if, you know, I, I was, I, I got, I actually did give my twin nephews a, uh, pair of mini soccer goals and uh, a couple little mini soccer balls for Christmas. So, you know, I'm trying to plant the seed into them. Their dad wants them to play football. (laughs) I'm like, guys, this is the actual real football right here. (laughs) (laughs) And you want to worry about a concussion or, you know, getting slammed by a 250 pounds linebacker. Yeah. (laughs) So it's, you know, it it is, it's, I, I just I, I think it's a kick that it's up there. I think that, that it's a kick that people are like, oh, you know, Mr. Poli- political guy, you can coach little kids in soccer. <laughs> They're like, you actually like small children? You don't eat them for dinner? I'm like, no, oh, only on even numbered years do I eat small children for dinner. Uh, Odd numbered years, I'm generally a nice and easygoing guy. <laughs>
0: Well, hey, that that that's where the future Messi's get started at, right? Usually, it is. I mean, you start it, so you. It is. You
1: it's, it's it's me rolling the ball out, and saying, "Y'all, y'all have some fun. I'm just gonna <laughs> lay down here and get a tank. That's basically that's that's basically my coaching philosophy right there.
0: <laughs> and, and then you know, just years later, uh, maybe one of those players, you know, making it pro or at least you know college or something, and then you'll be a part of that like story one of those players
1: will win win the world cup like score the winning penalty kick and afterwards say i owe it all to my under eight coach lee nevis
0: (laughs) (laughs) he brought the capri suns on time (laughs) he
1: did he brought and the orange slices were the best
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah you know it's it's crazy right but those stories uh Happen right? I mean, with any player that is champion, they they always had yeah, a, they got yeah, their start yeah. somewhere.
1: And it's you know, it, it, look, I you know, I really want to see soccer thrive in the Central Valley. Um, I know it's a valley that's dominated by football, um, uh, the American variety. Um, which hey, don't get me wrong, I love my 49ers. <laughs> I'll be going to my fair share of Florida Gator football games, even <laughs> if I have to fly back. Um, but You know, I think soccer is something that can really, you know, with the right kind of, you know, leadership uh, really flourish in the valley. I mean, you have a, you know, it's unfortunate, you know, my alma mater UOP has a great men's soccer program and it doesn't get marketed. I mean, you have an athletic department there that, you know, is obviously they market the hell out of men's basketball. It's number one revenue generator, but you know, you got some people in that department who are still stuck on, oh, you know, we were good in women's volleyball, you know, 30 years ago. Um, and here you have this gem of a program that people come out to watch. I mean, they lead the West Coast Conference and in attendance year in, year out. And they no marketing whatsoever. I don't see anything. Um, and, you know, the leadership there, it's its unfortunate. They, The past president, who, if you were going through my, website you saw I had more than a couple of interviews about being happy that she was uh, <clears throat> told to go elsewhere um, but you know they were they brought in a guy named Pat Hayden who used to be the athletic director at USC to kind of do an evaluation of the athletic program um, and he apparently was not telling her what she wanted to hear um, and the as it was told to me, she told him, but we're really good in water polo. And he's like, yeah, nobody cares about water polo. I, but that is just, I mean, if anything, it, it's a prime example of the fact that, you know, unfortunately you do have schools, UP being one of them, uh, that that have these gems in these soccer programs. And instead they're, you know, they're kind of like, let's go look at the white sports. Yeah. Um I mean, I'm gonna call it like I see it. I mean, come on, water polo is like the whitest sport out there. Um, that and lacrosse, I mean, come on. Um, no offense to lacrosse players, you guys beat each other with sticks. So I'm not, you know. Please, uh, be nice to me. Um, but it's trust me, we could do three podcasts on my feelings about UOP. Uh, <laughs> but I am not at all surprised that they like to not focus on the you know, Latino sport, let's put it that way.
0: But I, I do think, I mean, the sport is growing a lot. And it is, th- th- it's, th- it's growing a lot. Stadiums, right, that are, you know, being developed, Sacramento Republic, having their, their own stadium in downtown. Uh, there's some rumors going around Modesto might have a shared Modesto nut slash potential USL team stadium in downtown. I hope they're true because this is my hometown and nothing would make me happier than to see that. And yeah. I'm sure with Stockton too, right? If, if you guys uh, get a lot of people supporting the team in the first couple of years, maybe down the road, there might be a potential to, you know, build a 4,000, 5,000-seater stadium somewhere.
1: Too. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, we'd love to get to that stage. Um, you know, one thing I, I will caution and say, you know, anything that's done in Stockton, I am versed and familiar enough with Stockton politics and Stockton government to know that I want the government the local government stock to have nothing to do with the stadium at all. <laughs> stay as far away from as possible. It's like, we have the land, give us the permits and we're gonna build it. You guys stay over there. Because um, <laughs> when Stockton City government gets involved, let's just say, Whoo! um, I mean, the Stockton Arena is a perfect example. Mm-hmm. Um, when Stockton Arena opened up, they had a choice of two openers. Well, three openers, they could have had Bruce Springsteen um they could have had vincente fernandez who i mean the guy sells out the place in like 10
0: minutes
1: (laughs) or neil diamond now look i like neil diamond as much as the next guy i really do i love my yacht rock i love it i get chills when neil diamond says they're coming to america but i mean between vincente fernandez and the and the boss bruce springsteen you pick neil diamond oh And that arena was maybe half full, maybe. And this is the opening act. And that right there, part and parcel, is why the city of Stockton should never be involved in anything (laughs) that can be run better by private enterprise. And I will leave it at that. So city of Stockton, stay away from our stadium, please.
0: Yeah, yeah. Judging off that, yeah, I don't even know who they—they wouldn't even want the team to be the first to have the home opener, right? Maybe probably not. Probably not. They'd be like, "Oh, let's have water polo be the home opener. We'll put a pool in there." Yeah, yeah. They'll put one of those uh, uh, inflatable pools, right? Little kiddie pool. (laughs) Yeah, little kiddie pool. Well, what are you gonna do? Well lead uh, I won't take more of your time I know it's uh we're 3 more hours over there you've been in, in Florida but uh, it was really awesome uh, talking to you uh, I'm glad you're doing better after the liver transplant and that you know you you made a you know a sad situation right into something really good and and it's just kind of driven you forward with all these ideas and and all that and and I, I'm with you I mean that's one of those things that I think a lot of people could relate that when we have those uh Times in our lives, we end up actually being inspired to do more things. So yep. it, it it's and it's a blessing.
1: I I do want to say one last thing. You know, it's yeah. You know, got the liver transplant, and whatnot. But I, I I literally would not physically be here today if not for my wife. Um, she is literally a saint. Um, I mean, she took time off from work to take care of me, look after me. Um, you know, uprooted her whole life and moved out here to Florida with me um you know she you know now goes back and forth to spend time with her son back in california but you know here's someone who could have very easily said we've been married you know two years uh, and could have easily said i didn't sign up for this um and instead she's like buck up i'm not giving up so you better not give up um and, and it's look you know especially when i first got told i needed a new liver it was very trying You know, I was very trying from being this very independent guy who can do whatever he wanted to do to, you know, not being so independent. Um, But she was there with me every step of the way um, and, you know, put up with my attitude. Because trust me, there were days where I did not have the best attitude on the planet um, and, you know, put up with it with a smile. So if there's one star of the story, it is April Sunshine Nevis and uh, and. I I lucked out let's put it that way. You know, God was smiling on me and said this is going to be your wife. Um because I if it were anyone else who was my wife, I we probably would be having this conversation. I would probably be 6 feet under to be perfectly honest. And so I you know, the fact that I'm here talking to you today and I'm able to do the soccer stuff and I'm able to still do politics is all because of her. It really is. And I will never Never be able to repay her enough, or say thank you enough. Even though she gets sick and tired of me saying thank you every day all the time, (laughs) she's like, "Stop it!" Uh, But it's she's really the star of the show, to be perfectly honest. So,
0: well, that's great. Yeah, things happen for a reason, right? And and I know we usually just say that quote, but it really is true. They they do. They
1: things things do happen for a reason. Believe it or not.
0: So, awesome. Well, Lee, thank you so much for, for being on here. And uh, like I said, I, I can't wait for SC Stockton to be around and, and to go to the home opener whenever that like gets scheduled out. I'll I'll definitely be there. Unless you you get an a front row seat,
1: <laughs> you get a front row seat at the home opener. Is what you get. You get a front row seat and. When we have our uh big uh big jersey reveal, you have to bring the podcast on down. We'll do a little podcast segment from the Jersey reveal with our general manager and head coach.
0: Oh, awesome. Yeah, we'll definitely have that planned out. Uh won't be for the two nine journey, it'll be for my other ones since I have yes, my soccer yes. podcast. Uh but any any of our listeners here are welcome to uh jump on the State of the Republic podcast to check that out. But yeah, that we'll definitely uh, talk it through and uh have uh, a show over there.
1: Absolutely. Hey, it was a pleasure. Look forward to hearing the podcast.
0: All right. Thank you. Cool. Thank you. Once again, thank you so much to Lee for being on the podcast. Uh, really enjoyed the conversations and he, he's really done a lot. And I, I'm really excited for all the things that he's going to be doing in the future as, as someone who is uh a big-time soccer fan, as uh, some of you may have already <laughs> realized that from other episodes. Uh, I, I get really excited about this, and not just that, but the fact that we'll have more opportunities for uh, athletes here in the Valley is is really great, and definitely a woman's soccer team is not something that we've had in the 209 in general uh, when it comes to, uh, I should say, an independent team, not a non-college one, so it's going to be really great to... Uh, Give all the women out there a possibility to be able to play professional soccer in the 209 without having to go to another city. And, you know, we can have all of our local talent uh, get their professional start here with uh, SC Stockton. So I'll have more details on that uh, when the team uh, announcement happens and all that. And we might be having more uh, guests from the team uh, as the team announcements happen. And especially next year when their season kicks off. Uh, I'll I'll definitely be having uh, maybe a player or two uh, and another staff member on on the show so they could talk a little bit more about uh, what the plans are for SC Stockton in the 2023 season. Well, thank you so much uh, to everyone for listening to the show. Again, if you're not subscribed to the show, I invite you to hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening or it might also read as follow. uh, So that way you're able to be alerted anytime I post a new episode. I am working on getting more guests on the show, and if you do know anyone, as I mentioned earlier, please feel free to send me a message uh, with their contact information or have them send us a message uh, on the social media at the 219 Journey on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and uh, let me know your story, and then we can coordinate times and, and get you on the show as well. Well, have a great day or night, everyone, uh, whenever you might be listening to this. And uh, you'll hear me next time here on the 209 Journey podcast.